0: Again, this is a psalm of forty-eight verses, and what I'd like to do—I I just want to stand and read the entire psalm with you. Um, I think last week we just read the first several verses, but just to get the the uh, sense of what this psalm is all about, just read the entire thing. And um, you know, if you're unable to stand for that long, that's okay. But we do stand in 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 order to honor the word of God. A um Tradition that we receive from Ezra the priest in the book of Nehemiah. So um, let's begin with verse 1 in Psalm 106. And I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version of God's Word. Praise the Lord. Oh give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can declare all his praise? Blessed are those who keep justice, and he who does righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, with the favor you have toward your people. Oh, visit me with your salvation, that I may see the benefit of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his namesake, that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up, so he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request but sent leanness into their soul. When they envied envied Moses in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord, the earth opened up and swallowed Gathan and covered the faction of Abiram. A fire was kindled in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb, And worshiped the molded image. Thus they changed their glory into the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, awesome things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. Then they despised the pleasant land. They did not believe his word, but complained in their tents and did not heed the voice of the Lord. Therefore he raised up his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their descendants among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also to Baal of Peor and ate sacrifices made to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened, and the plague was stopped, and that was accounted to him for righteousness to all generations forever. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses on the account of them, because they rebelled against his spirit, so that he spoke rashly, With his lips. They did not destroy the peoples concerning whom the Lord had commanded them, but they mingled with the Gentiles and learned their works. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons and shed innocent blood and the the, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted. With blood. Thus they were defiled by their own works and played the harlot by their own deeds. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against his people, so that he, abhor- he, so that he abhorred his own inheritance, and he gave them into the hand of the Gentiles, and those who hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought into subjection under their hand. Many times he delivered them, but they rebelled in their counsel and were brought low for their inquiry, or excuse me, for their iniquity. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. and for their sake, he remembered his covenant and relented according to the multitude of his mercies. He also made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. Save us, O Lord, our God, and gather us from among the Gentiles to give thanks to your holy name, to triumph in your praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen, praise the Lord. Can we say that together? Amen, praise the Lord. And Father, we do thank you we do praise you. And we, as we repeat that word, amen, so be it. Your word settles everything, God. And as this psalmist goes through some history of your people, the people of Israel, as they were delivered from Egypt and wandered in the wilderness and came into the promised land, God, I, I pray that, that you would speak to our heart And Lord, that we wouldn't just read these words thinking that they apply only to those uh, back then, several thousand years ago. Lord, might we be forewarned. Might we understand that you gave us these words to teach us as a warning. And so God, help us to receive it as such. Be with us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Teach us and lead us into your truth. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys may be seated. As you can see, as we've read the entire psalm, that uh, this is a psalm that um, basically begins with praise and thanks to the Lord, ends with praise, to the Lord as well, but in between, just a series of events that took place with the people of Israel in their history. So it is one of those historical Psalms, but it also is what is called the first uh, of 10 different Hallelujah Psalms uh, in the book of Psalms. As we see the beginning, praise the Lord, that, that, uh, that act actually is the inscription that we see there, praise the Lord. And then we see it ending in verse forty-eight with "Praise the Lord." It, it is a psalm of praise, uh, a, a hallelujah psalm, as I mentioned. Um, last week, as we looked at verse—excuse er, me, Psalm one hundred five—we saw that there was no um, author mentioned in an inscription. In fact, there was no inscription in that particular psalm. But we did mention that we in, in First Chronicles sixteen thirty four, um, excuse me, in First Chronicles uh, sixteen I should say, uh, I got a little bit ahead of myself in the notes. In in First Chronicles sixteen that w- which was uh, uh, there was there was a psalm in those verses, from which it was written by David, and the occasion was the ark was being brought into the tabernacle. And in celebration there, uh, as they celebrated, David had written a psalm delivered to the musicians on that day. And from that psalm in 1 Chronicles 16 are the first 15 verses of Psalm 105, from that psalm in 1 Chronicles 16. Now, also in that psalm written by David in that chapter... uh we, we see the first verse here, the first verse of Psalm 106. I'll oh give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. In fact, that is a, that, that verse and, and those words are very familiar to us because we see them also not only in Psalm 107, but also in Psalm 118, the first and the last verse of Psalm 118. We see it uh, in uh, in all 26 verses of Psalm 136, which is a psalm of thanksgiving, for his mercy endures forever. So we we see that as a familiar phrase, and that would lead us to to believe that perhaps it was David who wrote Psalm 106 as well. But in light of the content of Psalm 106, if you just turn over to, to look at verse 46 in particular, that verse says, he also made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. That had to be after the captivity of Israel. Now in 722, Assyria took them captive and it was like um, 596 that the captivity was taking place in Babylon. There were three different waves there, 605, and I think it ended in 596 uh, B.C. But we see that it had to be at that time or after, probably during the captivity is when this was written. And we don't know who wrote it, but we do see this. In Ezra 9.9, we see these words. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Uh, In Ezra 9, so obviously at that particular point in time that mercy had been shown, um, the idea of God, uh, what we see in verse forty six there, uh, of God softening the hearts of those who carried them away captive. So it probably was not written by David, but somebody during that time who took some of these phrases from David's psalms, which had been written several hundred years before. Now, who who was it that wrote this psalm? We don't know. Could it have been Ezra the priest? Maybe. It could have been someone else who was a part of, uh, of of the of the tribe of Levi who were functioning in who had been functioning in the uh, uh, worship in the temple, which of course at this point in time no longer exi- existed because we we see that uh, 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 ba- the Babylon came in and destroyed the temple, took t- took them away captive. So, so so we we don't really know who it was, but it's interesting. Uh, to see those particular things, but it was not written by David or anyone else in his his era because of that one passage we see there. It had to be after the captivity took place. So we're we're thinking during Ezra's time, during the time of the captivity. So as we begin this psalm, we see in the very first verses, we see basically a praise and prayer, praise and prayer that, that takes place here. Um, Praise the Lord, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. You know, the idea of God's mercy enduring forever we see in a number of places in the, in the scriptures, not only in these psalms that I mentioned, but, for example, uh, Jeremiah writes in Lamentations, you know, his, 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 mercy, his mercies are new every morning, right? We, and, and this idea of God's mercy... Enduring forever, and what what Jeremiah wrote that they, they are fr- there's a lot, there's like a, a a fresh batch of mercies for us every single morning. God knowing the mercy that we're going to need, and He gives us what we need. Whatever mercies we need, He gives to us. Now, anytime God does any work for us, that really is His mercy in action. That, that basically is the, the premise of Psalm 136. I mentioned that in all 26 of those verses, uh, this is included, I'll give thanks to the Lord for his good, for his mercy endures forever. It cites some work that he did for Israel, and then it says those words. 26 different works, 26 different times these words are used. So, so, so we see the idea that God works on our behalf And it is an extension of his mercy toward us. It's an extension of his loving kindness toward us. In fact, in the Hebrew language, the word that is often uh, translated as loving kindness is the same word that is translated as mercy that we're talking about now. And so that, 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 that all works together. We do see here, we follow, uh, as we follow up on that, verses 2 and 3, who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? And these, these two verses basically are saying that, you know, there are no words that can accurately describe the acts of the Lord. They can not accurately describe what they were, what exactly happened, and especially the might and power that was used to accomplish them through the hands of the Lord himself or by the hands of the Lord himself. You know, there's just no way that we can really describe that. You know, it would be like, like us trying to describe, trying, trying somehow to define the greatest act that he did for, for us in saving us from our sin. I mean, can you come up with the right words that will really describe the incredible love of God? That is in action through God giving his son. For God so loved the world that he gave, right? We know that Jesus went to that cross in obedience to the Father, but he stayed there out of his love for us. It was for the, for the joy that was set before him that he endured the shame. The joy that was set before him, that's relationship with us. He was purchasing us for himself. That's what, he w- that's what was before him. That was that joy. And, and, and so, you know, we, we, can't even, we, we can't even begin to understand his love for us. You know, uh, one passage that is just coming to my mind right now, and I didn't jot down on my notes, but I want to go there. So you're going to have to turn your Bibles to see this one. But e- Ephesians, go, go to Ephesians with me. Ephesians chapter 3 At the end of Ephesians 3 we see Paul praying a prayer. The Apostle Paul writing the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians. Which starts in verse 14 of chapter 3. I don't want to go through all the way through that. But I want to begin in verse 18. Part of his prayer. And I want to remind you that at any time we see uh, in the New Testament epistles, whoever wrote that, praying a prayer for those who are receiving this epistle. So in this case, Paul is praying for the Ephesians. But, but we have to understand that even as the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it, and inspired him to pray this prayer for them, it also is the prayer of the Holy Spirit for us today. Because we receive the letter as well. It's God's intention that we receive it that way. And so, in verse 18, the prayer is that you, that we, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, surpasses knowledge. The prayer is that we would know something that can't really be known. the extent, the magnitude of the love of God, right? We can't understand it except that the Holy Spirit might somehow show us. But I believe that we will not understand the fullness of it ever. I, I believe that even when we are in his presence, you know, I, 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 you know, going through what I've gone through and, and w- with my bride being with the Lord now, It's been just about three months, er, uh, just about four months now. No, just about three months. No, four. We're we're in October already. Yeah, just about four months. Um, Think about her being with him, and in his presence. We've talked about the joy of being in his presence, right? You've heard me talk about that. And she is able to have the fullness of joy. But I think that, in essence, because he is so infinite in everything, to know his love, joy is a part of the expression of his love. But know his love completely, I don't think we're going to be able to do that, even when we're in his presence, because of the reality of his finiteness. I mean, infiniteness, excuse me. He's infinite and we're finite. He has no end to himself. We do. And so I think that the limits of that finiteness in us is going to inhibit our seeing him as fully as he truly is, as majestic as he truly is, and the love that he truly has. You know what I mean? I think think we're still going to be lacking... We're going to see him a lot better then because, as we've talked about, now we see through a glass dimly, darkly, but then face to face. You know, we'll see him a lot better. We're not going to have the the issues of, uh, of, of the, the, the veil the, uh, in terms of our humanness, our human flesh and so forth, but then we will. But, you know, there is no way that we can accurately describe this. So, so th- this just makes me think of this, the, the idea of not being able to do this. Then verse 3, Blessed are those who keep justice and, who, and he who does righteousness at all times. In Psalm chapter 15, in the 15th Psalm, is in the second verse, we see something there that, that applies to this. This is a Psalm of David back in Psalm 15. He who walks uprightly and works righteousness and speaks the truth in his heart He does not backbite with his tongue. And the question was asked in verse 1, and really we need to start there. Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle, who may dwell in your holy hill? Then he goes into this one who uh, walks uprightly, works righteousness, righteousness, speaks the truth in his heart, and so forth. And so we, we see some qualities of the person who's able to dwell with him. But those are qualities that we can only live out through the power of God's Holy Spirit anyway. So it's the one who knows him, has received his spirit, and then, of course, responding in that way. And then verses 4 and 5, basically a prayer. We see the writer praying a prayer of remembrance that God would visit him with the same favor that he has visited his people, uh, that he's given to his people always. And considering that this is uh, from the lips of a man who was a part of that uh, um, captivity, um, probably praying, Lord, just remember us, bring us back. He talks about the rejoicing in the gladness of your nation, glorying in your inheritance. One day soon they would be back. And, of course, it was Daniel. Now, it could have been Daniel who wrote this as well. Another who possibly would have written this who we, we see in Daniel chapter 9 that he discovered in reading Jeremiah's uh, 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 prophecy, as we read in chapter 29 of Jeremiah, that there that was going to be 70 years of captivity. And he just looked at his calendar and saw, hey, it's been almost 70 years now. So it's going to happen soon. So he, he could see that. But uh, he, he, was, he was expecting that to take place. Verses 6 and 7. In fact, let's read verses 6. Uh, actually, going through 6. Verses 6-12, through 12, we've read them already, so we don't need to rehearse them. But basically, this is the, 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 the psalmist writing of the rebellion of the people of Israel before they actually uh, crossed over the Red Sea, after they had been delivered out of Egypt, after the 10 plagues and everything. And we see there in Exodus chapter 14... You know, turn with me to Exodus fourteen. I, I don't, I don't have the verses here, but I think that's an important uh, uh, passage to to actually look at here tonight. Exodus fourteen. If you recall, after the after they had left uh, Egypt, uh, Pharaoh changed his mind in terms of letting them go, and he got his army together, the chariots and so forth, and started. Uh, headed, heading toward uh, the, the the Red Sea, following after them, God protected the people with a cloud by day, the fire by night, and everything. And so they they couldn't. They, they were there waiting, and o- o- the only thing that separated them from uh, uh, the Egyptians is God Himself. He separated them. He stood between them, in a very real sense. But the people started complaining. You know, we knew it, Moses. Didn't we tell you we would be better off just waiting there in Egypt? You know, we, 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 we were doing fine there, but no, you had to bring us out here. Are, are, there, are there enough graves to, graves to fill with our bodies? You know, that kind of stuff they're, they're saying to him. And then we see in verse 13, Moses responding. Look at this, chapter 14, verse 13 in Exodus. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. That reminds me so much of Psalm 46.10. Be still and, and know that I'm God, right? He says, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Stop your griping. Stop your complaining. Watch this. Right? The Lord, excuse me, uh, ver- for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. We, 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 we see, I, I picked up there in verses 13 and 14, but, but we, we see there that that's the response of the griping and complaining of the people. And then we know what happened. The Lord parted the Red Sea. It w- the land was dry. Two to three million people crossed over. Now, we can't even imagine how long that must have taken. You know, as we read it, you know, they crossed over. And then it, but it, I like that took a long time. Two million people at least crossing over that opening in the Red Sea. How wide was that opening? We don't know. But it had to take a good piece of time for for that that group of people to pass over through the Red Sea. I mean, it it, it had to be a few days, I would think, for that many people. I would think. I don't really know. I've never tried to figure it out. But that's an awful lot of people. Anyway, they came across. And then the Lord removed the, the, the cloud, and the Egyptian army saw that they had crossed over and they were just finishing crossing over as they begin to enter in, and as soon as they enter in, the Lord just kind of dumps all that water on top of them and ground, drowns them all. Incredible. Incredible. But this is the rebellion of their griping and complaining in those verses before verse 13. We also see in verse, verses uh, 13 to 15... We see the first words there, they soon forgot his works. You know, and, and they did. And, and, and guys, let us always keep in mind who our God is and what he's done for us. Never, ever, ever. In fact, this is what communion is all about. It's a remembrance, right? You know, we, we celebrate communion three times a month. You know, we talked about doing it tomorrow night as we have our night of prayer and communion. We're going to do it on Sunday, our second Sunday of the month when we celebrate communion during the service. And then the last Wednesday of the month, we also do it. And so communion is a remembrance of what God has done. As we remember what Jesus has done on that cross, his body representing, his broken body representing the, 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 uh, the, the church, his, his um, excuse me, The um, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about Ephesians chapter 5. Um, the bread representing his broken body, the juice representing the, the blood of the new covenant, his blood in the new covenant. And as, as we see that, we are remembering, he said, do this in remembrance of me, remembering what he's done. And, and it's the same thing that, that the Lord had established for the people of Israel with the various feasts that they would do. The Passover feast, for example, which was given so that they would remember God delivering the people out of Egypt, and the Passover, the, 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 the angel of death, passing over the houses that contained the blood of the Passover lamb. And as Paul writes to the Corinthians, Jesus is our Passover. His blood. So his blood on you, covering you, causes the angel of death to pass over you. We have the gift of eternal life. So there's that connection that we see there. Remembering. Remembering. So be sure that you're here as often as you can as we celebrate communion. To always keep the work of the Lord before your heart, as we remember what He's done for us. Now we see that they they, they lusted in the wilderness. Um, they they desired. Well, they, they were complaining about their their their, their, their lack of uh, 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 water, their lack of food, and so forth. In those chapters. Uh, of Exodus 15 to 17, we see him giving them water from the rock twice. We see him also giving them quail and uh, meeting their need. But we see in verse 15 there, as he gave them their request, he also sent leanness into their soul. I guess we need to be careful about what we ask for. And really, what's the motive for asking? What is the motive for asking? You know, in their complaining spirit, it was as if they wanted to return to Egypt where they had plenty to eat. I pray that none of us ever say, boy, it was, you know, my life was better before I found Jesus. Before he found me, really. You know what I mean? I mean, that's something that we can do. And you know what? It could be that materially speaking, that could be the case. It could be. But man, we've got the hope of eternal life. You know, there's nothing that this world has to offer that can compare To that which God himself that that God has given to us in terms of eternity spending eternity with him right nothing can compare to that so let's let's, let's never ever ever forget that verses 13 to 15 again we see the idea of uh, excuse me verses 16 to 18 verses 16 to 18 They envied Moses in the camp and and, and Aaron as well. Now, in those verses, you may remember uh, Korah's rebellion, uh, the the words that are written here by by the author of uh, of, of this psalm, speaking of uh, really, uh, uh, excuse me, Dathan and Abiram, who were swallowed up by the earth. I, I want to take you back to Numbers chapter sixteen. Now, this is this is known in the New Testament because there's a reference to Korah's rebellion uh, in the letter written by Jude. But what happened was that the um, Korah, along with these two, Nathan and Abiram, and and a host of two hundred and fifty men. They had gathered together. They were leaders of Israel. Th- they came to Moses and Aaron saying, who made you the boss? Basically, that's what they were saying. Why do you think that you, I mean, you, you, you have designated yourself as our leaders. Why? I mean, we're, we're capable men. We could do the same thing. What gives? You know, that kind of a thing is what they, what they were doing. Well, in Numbers 16, we see, the Lord speaking to Moses as the Lord s- as as Moses prayed to the Lord, verse thirty six of number sixteen. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, "Tell Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze." What? what I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, those those two hundred fifty men, along with Korah. Yeah, I, I I need to go back a little bit without looking at the scriptures i just re- finished the story. Th- these men uh, um, were, were commanded by God to uh, take censers, fill them with incense, and then God would show them who was really his man that he was choosing. That, that's, wh- that's what we see there. And the following morning, they gathered together, and God told, Abraham or told uh, uh, Moses uh, um, to separate themselves from the tents of these three families. Because he's going to destroy them. And they. All their households. All of their goods. Were swallowed up by the earth. The earth just opened up. Swallowed them and closed up over them. Now. If you were a part of the congregation of Israel. That saw this. What would you be thinking? Like. Like. Whoa, right? I mean, many of the things that God did was just simply to show who he is. I am God, there is no other. Now, the problem with this was that these men were not following after God's appointed leadership. And they wanted the leadership themselves without having been appointed by God. They, they, they weren't listening to God. They were rebelling against Moses and Aaron. Moses said, you're really rebelling against God. And so, c- so God showed them that it was Moses. In fact, Moses said to them, okay, to the whole congregation, all of Israel, if, if these men live a long life and die like just the rest of us, then you know that I'm not the appointed one. But if something else takes place, then you know it, you'll know that I am the appointed one. In fact, he says specifically, if the ground opens up beneath them and they fall in and cov- they're covered up, you'll know. You know. And so much of what God did is so that we would see, so that the world would see that, that, in some cases, so that his people would see that he is indeed Yahweh, the one and true, the only God. That there is no God beside him. And that was the case here. But now, also the 250 men who came with those, those, those three, they had the censers. God brought fire from heaven and burned those 250 men, destroyed them. Now, Numbers 16 36 to 40. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Tell Eliezer the son of Aaron, the priest, to pick up the censers out of the blaze, for they are holy and scatter the fire some distance away. Take the ashes and all all, some distance away. The censers of these men who sinned against their own souls, let them be made into hammered plates as a covering for the altar, because they presented them before the Lord. Therefore, they are holy. Interesting, huh? Even though their hearts were not right, even the censers themselves, because they were sacrifices to the Lord, offerings to the Lord, they themselves are holy, and they shall be assigned to the children of Israel. So Eliezer, uh, the priest, took the bronze censers, which, which uh, um, which those who were burned up had presented, and they were hammered out as a covering on the altar to be a memorial to the children of Israel that no outsider who was not a descendant of Aaron should come near to offer incense before the Lord, that he might not become like Korah and his companions, just as the Lord had said to him through Moses. A little bit later, in fact, the following verse, verse 41, uh, on the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. That's amazing to me that they would do that. But that's what they said. And then we see the anger of the Lord aroused against the people. And there is a plague that begins. And then down to verse 46 to 50, Moses said to Aaron, take a censer, put fire in it from the altar, put incense on it and take it quickly to the congregation to make atonement for them. For wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. Then Aaron took it as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the assembly and already the plague had begun among among the people. So he put the incense and made atonement for the the people and he stood between the dead and the living. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? He stood between the dead and the living. So the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the Korah incident. So Aaron returned to Moses at the door of the tabernacle meeting, for the plague had stopped. It is serious, as we see, to disobey the Lord, to not honor him. Now, we wonder, well, this was the Old Testament. Does God do stuff like this anymore? Well, Stuff like this, No, not in the physical way, but I, I do believe that the leanness that is sent into the souls of people comes for that same attitude. That the complaining spirit. We don't have this, we don't have that. Why, why, why this guy? Why that guy? Whatever it might be. You know um, it, it, It's something that the Lord would hope that we would learn what would expect us to learn based on what we see in the Old Testament as Paul writes to the Corinthians that these things were written for our admonishment. So we needed to take it as such. Now, verse 19, through verse 23, we see the worship of the golden calf. The first thing I said there, in, well, one of the things I said there in verse 21, they forgot God, their Savior. They made a calf. It was actually Aaron who made it. You remember the scene. You know, they were complaining and all. And a calf was something that was worshipped in Egypt. So they went back to the gods of Egypt, worshipping those gods. Again, the things of the world, you know, I mean, gosh, God help us to keep our eyes focused on him and away from those things of this world, that they worshipped the molded image, changed their glory into the image of an ox. uh, They forgot God, their Savior, who had uh, um, delivered them from Egypt. We see there in verse 23, had not Moses his chosen one stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he destroy them. And we see Moses doing exactly that. They forgot. Well, Exodus 32.4 says that Aaron received the gold from their hand, the hands of the people. He fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. They not only forgot, they said that it was some other God who brought them out of Egypt, not their God. Not the God of Israel, not Yahweh. That's what they they didn't. They didn't just simply forget. That's putting it very kindly. I mean, they worshipped the God, one of the gods worshipped in Egypt, making that golden calf and saying, "He's the one that delivered them from Egypt." In chapter thirty-two, verses ten to fourteen, God speaking to Moses. Now, therefore, let me alone that, that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I, and, and I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land I have spoken of I give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. Prayers of Moses. Interceding for the, the Israelites. Note in what in, in, in Moses' plea, he says three things. One, he says, they are your people. Secondly, he says, Why should Egypt win? Basically. And thirdly, remember your promises that you have made. Verses 24 to 27. They basically despised, the people of Israel despised this promised land that God brought them into. They complained in their tents. They didn't heed the voice of the Lord. He raised his hand in an oath against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow throw their descendants among the nations. They, de- they, they despised the land that God was bringing them through to get to the promised land. And so, I, again, again, You know, the the, the journey that we take to receive God's promises isn't always pleasant. But he's done the work to overcome the obstacles that we face in this world as we're in the wilderness headed toward the the promises of God. And by the way, the land of Canaan, being the promised land, is not representative of heaven. It's representative of being a part of God's family, being in His kingdom in a world that is against Him. There, there were still struggles, there was opposition, there was fighting, there was war. So that can't be heaven. So we, some people teach that—that's a mistake. Twenty-eight thirty-one. They joined themselves to also to Baal of Peor. Um, Numbers 25, 1 to 3. Now Israel remained in Acacia, in Acacia Grove, and the people began to commit harlotry with the women of Moab. They invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel was joined to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Now, it's mentioned that Phinehas stood up and intervened. What was happening was that the the men, as it says there, were committing harlotry with the women of Moab. These would have been uh, uh, princesses, if you will, who basically were uh, temple prostitutes, uh, and, and they were being joined with them as a part of their worship of Baal, of Peor. In Numbers 25, verses 7 to 13, we see a response of one of the Israelites bringing one of those women into the camp. Moses saw him with her. Uh, um, the people saw, saw him with her as they were gathered together at, at the doorway to the tabernacle as they were crying out to God, praying, because this was going on. And now, in verse 7, in verse uh, Numbers 25, Now, when Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose from among the congregation, saw this man with this woman, took a javelin in his hand, went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman, through her body. So the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. Those who died in the plague were 24,000. So another plague because... Of, of this action that, that had taken place. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, "Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the son of Aaron, the priest has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. Therefore say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. Having a passion for the heart of God, being a man after God's own heart. Phinehas showed that here. His zeal against sin, his zeal against this worship of these other gods, And Phinehas put a stop to it. He couldn't handle that coming into the camp. He destroyed it. And as God says, he had my zeal. Do you and I, do we have God's zeal for truth? God's zeal for him, his ways, his thoughts? Do we have that? Will we stand up for the things of God in a, in, in a, in a culture that is against him. As, as we've said a number of times, we as Christians are countercultural, aren't we? The culture d- goes one direction and we go the other way. In fact, we're against the culture. It reminds me, I mentioned this recently, I don't remember the setting in which I remember, uh, said this, but I remember, some of you may remember this, back in the day, back in the 70s, maybe it was the 80s, you know, um, there was a t-shirt and, and a, a, a sticker that, that portrayed a school of fish swimming in one direction, and then one fish going against it. That's you as a Christian in this world, living for Jesus. That's each one of us living for Jesus. We're we're just going against the tide. Um, Verses 32 and 33, we see uh, the the, the waters of strife. um, Moses misrepresenting God here because the people were complaining. Numbers chapter 20, we see that God told Moses to speak to the rock. He struck it twice. The water still came out to bless the people, but Moses' heart was, was not right. He misrepresented God. He caused the people of God to think that God was angry with him. It was Moses that was angry with them, not God. And so that cost Moses the opportunity to enter into the promised land by misrepresenting God. Verses 34 to 43... We see that once they got into the promised land, they did not destroy all the peoples. Basically, that's the story of Joshua through the book of Joshua. And and, and we do see that in Judges chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. uh, Yeah, After in the first chapter of Judges, it speaks about all the various tribes that failed to defeat all of the enemy. And so they still lived among them. And as they did live among them, it affected their own worship of God. They followed those gods as well as their own God, thinking that that was okay. But their worship of God was tainted. Well, in Judges 2, verses 10 to 16, it says this, In speaking of Joshua who had died and all his generation, when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. I think one of the saddest verses in the scripture. Might we be sure to let the next generation know who God is and what he's done for us. Well, verse 11. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. ...and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord their God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them into the hands of plunderers and despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for calamity, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. So here we see the book of Judges. Time and time again, the Lord sent a judge to, to, to deliver them. They were fine for a while. Then they went back to their worshiping the, uh, the, the other gods, you know, and there, there's a, uh, seven different cycles of that that takes place in the book of, of Judges. And God help us to think that, you know, after he's delivered us and things are going well, that, that we just kind of ease up a little bit. We, we grow complacent, we, you know. I, I mean, when we're first delivered, I mean, we are in God's word. We, we are making sure we're part of worship we we are doing those things that that we need to do and then we grow complacent and and, and and we we grow lax and and we stop reading like we did we stop praying like we did we stop you know going to all the services that are available to us like we did you know we, we we've got to be careful about those kinds of things and this is that's basically exactly what the people of Israel did they were very very visibly Worshipping the other gods, but I wonder what the gods are that we worship when we're doing that. What are we spending our time doing rather than being in the Word, being at church as much as we as we could be, of praying as much as we could be? I, is it seeking some form of entertainment? You know, uh, um, in our world, it could very well be what it is. Is it seeking material things through? You know, working a lot of overtime so we can have the money to buy stuff—that could be what it is. I mean, there are a number of things that it could be, but along those lines, for sure. Verse forty-four to forty-six. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry. See, this is what God did. He delivered them, as we've seen in verse forty-three. He heard their cry. He regarded their affliction, and for their, their sake, he remembered his covenant. And look at this. And relented according to the multitude of his mercies. According to the multitude of his mercies. What a beautiful, beautiful phrase that is. His mercies endure forever. And he doesn't give to us all the... um, He doesn't judge us, condemn us, and bring to us the kind of punishment that is due to us because of our sin. It's all because Jesus took our place on that cross. Same kind of attitude from God's heart, his multitude of mercies caused him to remember them. And we see in verse 46, as we read this already, he made them to be pitied by all those who carried them away captive. And it was... Cyrus of Persia who helped the people of God get back into their promised land get back to that place that God had given to them so it's just amazing to have seen that and then finally verse 47 48 the closing blessed be the God Lord of Israel we see a doxology here from everlasting to everlasting let all the people say amen praise the Lord hallelujah uh, the hallelujah psalm and so this is a psalm that basically highlights all of the sins of the people, the people of Israel. I mean, I- I not in a lot of detail. I added some detail, as, as of course you saw, not to all of it, but just to give us a sense of all this. And while it highlights the sins of the people, really, it's about God's mercy, in spite of all those sins and all that rebellion and all that idolatry, all that disobedience, God, in his abundant mercy, his multitude of mercies, as we see there in verse 45, he heard their cry and worked for them. And he works on our behalf too, doesn't doesn't he? Anytime God does anything for you, anything for me, he's doing it out of his mercy toward us. He's showing his mercy, his goodness, his loving kindness. You know, uh, one of the Psalms reads that your loving kindness is better than life. The song we used to sing way back in the day. My lips will praise thee, thus will I bless thee. I will lift up my hands unto the Lord. Remember? His loving kindness, his mercies. And so remember his mercies. Ask for his mercies. Pray for his mercies. Look for his mercies. Thank him for the mercies when they are brought to you. Sometimes we just forget to do that. Sometimes we forget even to look for the mercies. Sometimes we forget that we need them. Sometimes we forget how many he's shown us. Let's live lives of thanksgiving before him. Amen. And Father, help us to do so. And Lord, even as we see in this psalm, the beginning and the end, this praise the Lord, these hallelujahs. Lord, might praise to you be the bookends of our lives? And whatever fills our lives in between, might it be filled with praise as well. And we know we've got our ups and downs. We've got this journey that we face, uh, the, 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 the good times, the hard times, our, our, our backsliding that we do once in a while, periods of time when we're just really tight with you. All these things take place with us. We are fallible people. But Lord, you've given us your spirit. And there's no reason for us ever, really, because we have him, to fade back, help us not to. Might we be in your word, might we seek the filling of your spirit, might we walk with you in such a way that others will look at us as those who have a zeal for you, have your zeal for your truth, will stand up for your truth, walking by your truth, living according to your truth, filled with your spirit, loving you and loving people around us. Lord, might we never stop. Might we never slow down. It is for your honor and glory that we do it, Lord. But we know that as you use us, that it is for the blessing and benefit of people around us. Our brothers and sisters in you, as well as those who don't yet know you. Draw them to yourself, we pray. And use us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together, guys. Tony and Ryan are here to lead us in worship. They've, uh, led they're going to lead us in this last song. Thanks, guys, for coming to, to lead us tonight. I just really appreciate your ministry. Thank you so much. And God bless you guys. I pray you have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you this weekend.